Hi, I'm Diane Allen, and this is... Michelle Laval. And I was the interim uh, children's director for a couple of years. And the last thing we did while we were in there in uh, Kids Town was uh, study the Old Testament. So I issued a challenge to the kids to memorize the books in the Old Testament. So Michelle's going to do that for you right now. So, Michelle? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Hold on, pause for one second, okay. Michelle. You notice <laughs> Diane is consulting the table of contents to make sure that Michelle gets this right. <laughs> okay, Michelle, I'm sorry I messed you up. Start over. <laughs> if you mess up, you can just blame it on me. Just in case. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, just in case. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastic, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. That was so great. Really great. Okay, next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Really good job. And that's 39 books in the Old Testament that she memorized. So very, very good. She said, do I have to do the New Testament too? So we'll work on that one, right? So the, the reason that we do that kind of thing, why do we memorize the books of the Bible or verses or scriptures because the Bible is so important to our spiritual growth. We have to have it to grow spiritually. So that's why we do that kind of thing in Kidstown, don't we? So we can grow. And Miss Erin does that with you now, which is awesome. We are going to actually tee up Pastor Ed's sermon by reading from the New Testament. And we're going to read from John chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. Verses 31 through 47. And I'm going to begin and Michelle will finish us off here. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. This is Jesus speaking. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it to you that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can I believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Diane. How do you and I become more like Jesus? 
I mean, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to have Jesus' character. We want to be able to stand up under any kind of pressure and not change our colors. In fact, continue to offer grace. We want to serve people the way Jesus served people. We want to have the kind of magnetism and power around our lives that Jesus had. Husbands, your wives want you to be more like Jesus. They want to experience that kind of selflessness. They want to be cared for. They want to be loved by someone who's in it for them. Moms, our children want us to be more like Jesus. Listen, our neighbors want us to be more like Jesus. They might not even know it. But they want us to be the kind of neighbor that's about them. It's caring. And we're offering them life. Our co-workers want us to be more like Jesus. Many of them don't know it. But they want us. They want us. The world needs us to be more like Jesus. Boys and girls, you go to school, even if you're in the second or third grade, you go to school with people who want you to be more like Jesus. Even if they don't know that's what they want. How do we feel more like Jesus? At peace, no matter what the circumstances are. A sense of love flowing out from us to others. A sense of our own destiny, purpose, meaning, full of purpose and meaning. Regardless of the circumstances in our lives. How do we feel more loving and more at peace? More secure in a connection with God? How do we have that kind of connection with God? that informs everything we do. How do we feel more like Jesus? We're starting a new series today. We're calling it Renovate. Some of us are in need of renovation. I can't scratch that. All of us are in need. We are a constant remodeling job. And we're going to talk over the next several weeks about how that happens. I don't know if we've ever had a more important conversation at Gateway. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It means to have Christ formed in us. Christianity isn't about having the right information in us. It's about allowing the right formation of us. So today we're going to begin with the foundation of spiritual formation. If we're going to experience a remake, if we're going to experience a remake, if you and I are going to experience spiritual renovation, if we're going to be remodeled into something that looks and acts and feels more like Jesus, where do we start? In your program today, we teed this up by calling today's lesson the handbook, and that's accurate. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about the handbook. But over the last couple of days, this has morphed a little bit on me. There's something that happened in this passage. I saw something in the passage that Michelle and Diane read that knocked me out, that spoke very, very powerfully to me personally, and I think it may speak to some of you as well. So we're going to expand that. We are going to talk about the handbook today, but we're going to expand that, and we're going to call today the foundation. What we want to do today is lay a foundation for how it is that we allow ourselves to be transformed spiritually. How do we become 
more like Jesus? How do we walk through our lives with that kind of purpose, that kind of power, that kind of presence, that kind of connection with God? How do we overcome obstacles that prevent us from being more like Him? You know, our worries and our temptation. We're not going to give a seven-step process, but we are going to talk about how you do this, how you live out the Christian life. We're going to lay a foundation for spiritual renovation. Now, in the passage that Michelle and Diane read for us this morning, fantastic. If you didn't really catch all of that, I hope you will as we go through it. I want to encourage you to go back and read it this week in light of some of what we talk about this morning. But Jesus is making an argument in this passage. And it's a really fascinating passage. What he's really arguing for is why we can believe in him. Why we can believe in Jesus. Let me give you an overview of the passage and then we'll drill down. So here's what we get in this passage. I'm just give you a real quick overview of what he covers in this passage. We get four reasons we can believe Jesus' testimony about himself. Reason number one, we can believe Jesus' testimony about himself because the testimony of those who know him agrees with his testimony about himself. So it's personal. There are people who know Jesus, who testify about him, and it agrees with what Jesus says about himself. Secondly, we can believe Jesus' testimony about himself because of the work he did, the teaching and the miracles. Thirdly, we can believe Jesus' testimony about himself because the Father himself affirmed Jesus directly. The Father affirmed Jesus. And then indirectly, the Father affirmed him. We can believe Jesus' testimony in the Scriptures because of the Scriptures. The Scriptures testify to him and They not only testify to him, they anticipate and they confirm his identity. And in this part of the argument, interestingly, we get a glimpse of Jesus' view of the Bible. So we're going to settle on that a little bit at the end of the day. That's going to take up more of our time than the other discussions, but we'll go through all of them. And then also, big picture, we get, and this is the part that grabbed me, so hang on. We get a clear picture why we don't really hear what God says to us. And if we do hear, why it doesn't change us. Jesus gives us a hint about that. Why it doesn't change us. Sometimes why we don't even hear it. All right, so before we dive in, we need to pray about this. So let's pray. We're going to pray for God to, and I want you to do some work here. I want you to actually pray and also wake up because it's hot in here. I can't believe it, but it is stinking hot in here. Did anybody see this morning? that the Green Bay-San Francisco game later on today is going to be minus 20 degrees chill factor. So just enjoy the warmth, okay? In an effort to kind of help us, wake us up a little bit, out of reverence for his presence, would you stand with me as we pray? And we're going to pray that God will open our chests. Again, I don't know that we've had a more important conversation at Gateway, that God will open our chest and do his thing, massage his spirit, his heart, his life into us. Let's pray. Lord, your people have gathered this morning in your name here, and we believe we are not here by accident. Some of us are visiting, some of us are home from college, our children are here, but Lord, we believe we're here by appointment. And because we've gathered, we believe you're here. And that is awesome. And we want to do our best today to give you permission to change us. To begin to literally massage your life, your heart, your spirit, your power, 
your character into our heart and our life. In offering to ourselves to you this morning, Father, we want to confess that we have not met our own standards. And we shudder to think of how far short we fall of your standards. Lord, we're reminded of what Alex highlighted for us this morning. is just your grace. So Lord, right now we offer ourselves to you such as we are. And we're really thankful that where sin runs deep, grace is more because we could not, we just couldn't make it through the week and we could not recalibrate our friendships and our marriages and our working life and our personal discipline. We couldn't keep going without that knowledge. And Lord, we ask you to speak to us this morning, not an image of you that we've created to make ourselves feel comfortable, but we ask you to speak, kind of break through our defenses, because we do long to be more like you, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So let me give you real quick the context for this discussion that Diane and Michelle read for us. Jesus heals someone by a pool, and this is fantastic, and this is the kind of thing that attracted crowds to Jesus. You know, I've said before, pretty early in his ministry, Jesus became a rock star, and this is the kind of thing that generated that energy around Jesus, but it also generated a negative kind of energy around Jesus because, you know, he just didn't follow the rules. He didn't really care a whole lot about when he did that kind of thing, as if you should. And so this particular occasion, he heals this person on the Sabbath. And this was against the rules. Not against the scripture, but it was against the rules. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're upset. And they challenge him and they say things to him. We don't have time to go through what they say there. But even that dialogue is interesting in what Jesus says about it. They say to him, you're doing things. It's like you're claiming to be God's son, actually. If we allow this, it's like he's equal with God. You know what's fascinating about it is Jesus doesn't object to that. And he doesn't deny it. I mean, a self-respecting Jewish rabbi should have said, oh, whoa, 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 wait, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. That's not, what, that's not what's going on here at all. Wait, we've misunderstood one another. That's not what he does. In fact, the only time I can think of that he really does this, Jesus defends himself. Usually he doesn't fall into that trap. Usually he rises completely above it. So what they do is they force Jesus into a corner. They essentially demand that he justify himself, and essentially he does. And wow, what we get is amazing. In almost every ancient legal system, including the Jewish legal system, one witness couldn't establish a case. So one witness wasn't valid standing alone. And Jesus begins his argument here by submitting to that precedent. He says, okay, if I testify about myself, My testimony is not true. It's not valid. This is how he begins. He allows that. So then he gives them four reasons, essentially like four categories, if you will, that should lead them to believe he is who he says he is. And these are pretty obvious. The third and fourth, they kind of run together, but we'll pick them apart. He gives them four kinds of witnesses, and I want you to know, fascinating, these same kinds of witnesses are available to us as well. 
And if you and I want to hear from God, if we want to be more like Jesus, we have to avail ourselves of these witnesses. In fact, if you miss everything else today, don't miss that. If you want to be more like Jesus, you have to figure out how to avail yourself to the kinds of witnesses that Jesus offers up in his own self-defense. Number one kind of witness he offers up is Jesus points to a personal witness. He points them to a person that they knew, a person they had great respect for, someone who had a notable connection with God. So here's how Jesus begins his justification. He says, you have sent to John. You've gone to John, John the Baptist. Some of you went out to the river and were baptized by him. You've received his testimony, and he's testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but, but I mention it that you might have a connection with God. You might be saved. Look, you know it. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. You know, John, you know what he was like. Guess what? He testified about me. John was a radiant person, a lamp that gave light to those around him. People who believe in Christ tend to be that way. They tend to be that way. We aren't always. But people who believe in Christ tend to be that way. We tend to be a lamp. We tend to be a light. We tend to be radiant. And people around us notice it. Look, if you're in the place this morning, if you're visiting with us, thanks thanks for coming, especially on this awful day. If you're visiting with us or you've been connecting with us for a while and you're wondering about God, you haven't yet crossed the line of faith, you're not yet all in, I want you to know, I think the first step for you is to expose yourself to someone who's a radiant light that has a connection with God. And if you want someone, if there's someone in your life, you want them to just know what you have. You want them to experience this connection. Then a couple of pieces of advice. Number one, be a radiant light. That's where it starts. Number two, get them exposed to people who are a burning lamp. John was that for these people. And Jesus points, you, you, can't, you went to him. You know what he was like. He testified about me. Second kind of category, second kind of testimony Jesus offers up. Jesus points to his work, specifically his teachings and his miracles. So he says, he goes on, he says, look, I have testimony weightier than that of John even. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. So listen to what Jesus says about his work. I mean, you know, what amazes me about this the longer I looked at that this week, I appreciate that he points that out. If I were Jesus, I would have been like bragging. You guys are complaining, shut up, I healed somebody. Next up, in, you go, go heal somebody. But he doesn't do that. You know, listen to what Jesus says about his work. He says, first of all, it's more significant even than the testimony of John. Secondly, he said, this work, the work that he's doing was given to him by the Father. So he's doing what was appointed to him to do. And thirdly, he says that this work points to his unique connection with the Father. His unique connection that he had with God. All right, I know the second category of testimony about Jesus, and it's available to us as well. I know that many of us struggle with believing in miracles. This isn't the time to talk about that this morning. We don't have enough time to do that thoroughly, but this is worth exploring for you and for me. 
This is worth exploring. It's worth pushing into. This morning, I'm not telling you, if you have doubts about the miracles of Jesus, I'm not telling you to give up your intellectual integrity. I'm telling you to press in and examine it. Doubt it, but also go through the process of doubting your doubts. I'll post these on the website. I don't have time to go through all of this, but I came up with a short list of references that you can look at. Again, I'll put these on the website this week that you could look at to help you kind of wrestle down some of this for yourself. There was a book written in 1988 called Evangelical Essentials. It's written by John Stott and David Edwards. And David Edwards was a scholar who struggled to believe in the miracles. And Stott, they have a point-counterpoint discussion in this book about this 40 or 50 pages of point-counterpoint discussion about the validity of the miracles and whether or not they are believable. There's also a book written in 1910. It's called The Fundamentals. It's worth looking at. It's hard to find, but, and I don't have it, so I probably shouldn't recommend it, but I'm going to anyway. There are five essays, but one of the essays specifically addresses the authenticity of the miracles. It makes some fantastic points. A third one is The Handbook of Christian Apologetics it's by a great author and, and a scholar, a guy named Peter Kreft, and it's got a handful of pages on miracles only, but it's, it's good stuff. Both of the guys who wrote this book were uh, Roman Catholic scholars, good men. And I'll post these on the website for you. Fourth one, some of you have known me a long time know I'm actually a fan of John Calvin. He gets a bad rap in certain circles. But Institutes of Christian Religion was Calvin's opus. You know, it was his theological summary. And he's got miracles section in there. So I'll put those on the website for you because... This is the second kind of evidence for us. This is the second category that point to the, the believability of Jesus, that he is who he said he was. Third category that Jesus offers up, he offers up the direct testimony of the Father. Now this is tricky. He's making both a point and he's introducing a larger point with this next verse I'm going to read. So he's going to talk about the direct testimony of the Father, but he's also teeing up his fourth point where he spends a little bit more time. So listen to verse 37, what Jesus says. After he's finished talking about his work, he says in verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So thirdly, we have the direct testimony of the Father. Really, this comes to Jesus at two points in his life, and some of you are familiar with this story. There's a time when Jesus was baptized, and he hears a voice from heaven that says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And there's an instant later in Jesus' life that we call the transfiguration because Jesus actually starts to glow in front of a couple of his disciples and they hear a voice that says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. So Jesus says there's the direct testimony of God. Now hold on to your hats, we're going to spend more time on the fourth, but I have to say before we end this one, I think this same kind of testimony comes to us as well. He's pausing to give you a chance to digest and give us a break. I think for many of us, maybe all of us, there are those rare, rich experiences in our lives when it all seems to connect. When we get the big aha. Yes! And it fits and it fills in. We sense it. We get this direct touch of God. And it confirms it for us. Hang on to those moments. Write about them. 
Remind yourself of them. I don't know about you, but I've been hearing lots of stories and testimonies lately, several. John Malone and I were talking about this the other day. I think this has been happening at an increasing level lately among Muslims. I think many of those folks are deeply intent on surrendering their lives to God and following God. And I have heard many stories about Muslims getting visions of Jesus. And Jesus comes to them and speaks to them. I think this kind of testimony is available to us as well. The Father speaking directly. Then fourth. And this is where Jesus spends a little bit more time and He saves the punchline for last, I think. Jesus points to the Bible as justification for Himself. Let's acknowledge, first of all, this is a very bold claim because He's talking to people who know the Bible very well. He's talking to people who have built their lives on the study of the Bible. And they believe it. And they believe it's God's Word. So they get everything right about the Bible except the point. We'll get to that in a minute. I want you to notice that Jesus reserves this for the most important place in His argument. He gives the most important place in His argument to Scripture. And here's what He says about the Bible. And we could spend a week on this, but let's do this quickly. First of all, Jesus says, it is the Father's testimony. So remember I said in verse 37, I think he's talking about the direct testimony of the Father, but he's also using that as a title to tee up what he says in the next couple of sentences. So I'm going to read verses 37 and following again. Listen to this carefully. This is awesome. The Father who has sent me has testified himself concerning me. And then he goes right in. Look, you've never heard his voice like I did at the baptism. You've never seen His form. Nor does His Word dwell in you. Ouch! People who've dedicated that they have PhDs in the Bible. Nor does His Word dwell in you. For you do not believe the One He sent. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. At the very end of His argument, He says, don't think I'm going to accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. The Bible on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So, first of all, he says that the Bible is the Father's testimony. The Bible is the Father's testimony. I've got to say that again. In other words, the Bible is God's testimony. Now, it was certainly written by human authors, Jesus acknowledges as much. He says, the one that's going to condemn you is Moses, who was the human author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it's God's Word. It's the Father's testimony. The Bible is the Father's testimony. Jesus was one time in His ministry asked about divorce, and He quotes Genesis 2.24, and He says this. He says, God says, when two are joined together, they shouldn't be taken apart, but that was a quote from Moses. Moses wrote it. And Moses didn't say in Genesis 2.24, God says, but Jesus is taking it as de facto the testimony of the Father. It's difficult to know how you can be a follower of Jesus and not share his view of Scripture. It's interesting to me that the first followers of Jesus seem to completely agree with him. They get it. I want you to hear what Peter said. One of Jesus' best friends and 
one of his students. Peter said this in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and following. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and following. It's one of those little books way in the back of the New Testament. Go look at this later. Peter says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a, sh- a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the word of the prophets he's talking about. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the Father's testimony. Now, we don't have time to survey Paul's writings. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but the Apostle Paul certainly agreed in the way he dealt with his own writings and with Peter's writings and with the Gospel, the story of Jesus, and with the Old Testament. So, first of all, Jesus believed that the Bible was the Father's testimony. Secondly, Jesus suggests that the Bible is the most certain and the surest of all testimonies. In essence, what he's saying to them is, look, you haven't heard his voice or seen his form, but you have his testimony. So this is a more sure testimony than a voice or a vision. The Apostle Paul makes this point even clearer. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul has explained to them you know, a little bit about his ministry. and He's still in the introduction, really. But he's pointing back to them. Because these are folks that have they've heard Paul's teaching. They've heard Paul tell stories about Jesus. And this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. This, this was, was his teachings. And these are his miracles. And, and this is what it means to rely on him. This is how some of what we're going to be working through these next few weeks. This is how it is that we become more like him. He, he leaves Galatia. And he later hears that this church over here, this church, group of churches over here in Galatia, they're going nuts. That false teachers have come in and leading them all astray. And they're getting off in this direction or that direction. And Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to address that situation. And he says to them, look, if even an angel in heaven comes down and tells you something different from what I've told you, don't believe it. Because this is the surest of all testimonies. This is the most certain testimony. Think about it. If you and I have a vision... I honestly believe, I know all of you don't agree with me about this, but I honestly believe that there aren't two. I think there are three sources for some vision that you and I might have. I think one source is human. Lack of sleep or the pizza I had last night or some mind-altering substance. And I can get fantastic vision. I'm not saying these aren't legitimate. I'm just telling you why this is not a sure way to approach spiritual growth. I think another option for some vision that I might have is actually our enemy and God's enemy, the occult. And of course, it's possible that it is from God Himself. It's a vision of God. But you've got a one-third chance. Jesus is telling us essentially with the Bible, it's a home run every time. It's always sure and certain. It is the most sure. With the Scripture, it's God's testimony. So what that means, y'all, for me, what that has meant is I have had to come to points where I don't let go of my 
intellectual curiosity, sometimes even my doubt, but I suspend them. I bring them underneath God's Word. I was going to say at some point that lately in my own personal time with God, I've been reading the last couple of weeks, I've been reading through the book of Mark. And I have to tell you, there have been like four or five days where I've read a passage and I've thought, come on, you've got to be kidding me. What's going on there? Did he literally walk across the water? Was he just out for a stroll one night? What is, what, did he, was he the first one to invent shoes? That could, how did he do that? What does that even mean? Did he suspend the laws of physics? What? Can I even believe that? I really feel that. I read a passage like that and I go, holy smokes, what do I do with that? I don't forget that. I don't discard that. I don't go for some cheap Sunday school. No, no, it's blind faith. God's not asking you for blind faith. Jesus gives categories of evidence. But I suspend it. I bring myself underneath the Scriptures instead of submitting myself to my doubts. Or instead of submitting myself to the experts. You know, the Bible judges the experts. You've seen those Discovery Channel shows that tell you how all the reasons that we can't believe the Bible. I have chosen to allow the Bible to assess the experts and not vice versa. Because it's the Father's testimony. And it's the surest of all testimonies. And I've come to the conclusion that I don't think I can be a follower of Jesus unless I have His view of the Bible. Okay. I want to say, I know there are those, many of you, who struggle with believing the Bible. When I post the books about miracles that give arguments for the miracles, I'll try to identify pages for you. I'll also post a couple books this week for anybody who wants to do some work on the reliability of the Bible. The validity of it, the believability of it, and the reliability of it, because it's fully reliable. I think it's also unique. I think no other religious work is like the Bible. The Bible is essentially, you know, we come to think of the Bible in this kind of, I don't know, truncated way. We think of it like this one book that somebody set. The Bible's a library. It's incredible, and it's full of lots of stories. If I were God, I would have written my book in a very different way. But it demands that we engage it. It, Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Also, in conclusion, Jesus believed it was the Father's testimony and and it was the most sure of all testimonies. And if Jesus is right, if it's the most important and surest way in which we hear from God, then we have to expose ourselves to it if we want to experience spiritual change. We have to expose ourselves to it. We can certainly question it, and you should. But engage it. Don't just stand at a distance and declare, I can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. I can't believe in some of the wacky miracles and supernatural stuff. I can't believe that because I haven't seen it. I can't believe that. Don't stand apart from it. And don't put yourself above the Bible. You know, something remarkable has happened in my life when I allowed the Bible to scrutinize my life and speak into my life and not the reverse. And not me speak into the Bible. I heard a guy talking about this some time ago. And he gave this interesting illustration. So I'm going to go old school for a second. I don't know how many of you saw the original Star Trek with, you know, Leonard Nimoy as Dr. Spock and William Shatner was 
Kirk. So they go visit this special planet one time in one episode. And I think his name was Dr. Mudd, I think. Something like that. Anyway, he's got this planet all to himself. And what he's done is he's built a bunch of android robots that look and act and function fully human. Of course, they're all incredibly beautiful women. And he's surrounded by all these androids. They all say yes to everything, he says. So Dr. Mudd says, you know, I think we need to go do so-and-so in a room full of beautiful women. He says, yes, Dr. Mudd. He also has a replica of his wife, Mrs. Mudd. And when he turns on Mrs. Mudd, she starts to nag. So turns on Mrs. Mudd, and Mrs. Mudd goes, whatever his name is, Wilbur, you haven't taken out the trash. Wilbur, you haven't. And what he does is he goes over and turns her off. And Wilbur, you, 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 you. And the robot calms down. Here's the thing. Dr. Mudd is miserable. Because that's not a dialogue. That's not a conversation. That's not a relationship. That's not feeling. And that's what some of you and I have done to the Bible. God speaks into our lives things that are difficult and hard to understand and we we shut Him down. We don't allow the Bible to speak into our lives. We speak into it. We put ourselves over it and it no longer has the power to have a conversation with us. And most importantly, because it's not about the Bible, most importantly, we miss this part of God's testimony to us. We miss this part of connecting with Jesus. We miss this part of becoming more like Jesus. All right, let me end with what became for me the the kicker this week. This knocked me out. So I've been addressing those of us who struggle with the Bible, struggle believing it, and I don't believe for a minute that I have absolutely convinced you. And if you came in here with doubt, because you've heard me say before, I'm a doubter. So I know that I have not quelled your doubts. I did not intend to. I just meant to get the gray matter going and the heart stirred a little bit. And I've been speaking mostly to those of us who just struggle getting our minds around what does it mean for this to be God's Word, and how am I supposed to relate to this? And I just want to assure you that Jesus did, and that He offers it up as part of the testimony that's essential to knowing Him and believing Him and connecting with God and being changed by God. However, there are also those of us here this morning, many of you, who have a better, surer understanding and grasp and feel and faith about the Bible and toward the Bible than I do. I mean, I'm not the standard, but you know what I mean. Uh, you get it, and you're all in. You, in fact, I know that there are many of you who have a habit of reading the Bible in your lives, which I highly commend. You can't become more like Jesus without that habit. That's the point of everything we set up to this point, but let me give you the kicker. You have studied it. You know it. You believe it. You believe it's God's Word, which you need to hear clearly. Point, second time I'm going to say this, I usually don't. But if you miss everything else, don't miss this. If that's you, if that's how you feel about the Bible, that qualifies you to be a Pharisee. So here's what Jesus says. And He underlines, He underscores for us, those of us who feel like we're the good guys. We really get it. We get our religion. He underscores for us why we don't hear from God. Or we don't hear from Him more. And when we do, why we're not changed. So this is what Jesus says to him in verse 39. Look, you diligently study the Scriptures 
Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You think that it's by the Scriptures that you're going to have eternal life. You think the Scriptures are the point. We miss the point because we miss the point of the Scriptures. Jesus gives them this. These are the Scriptures, the one that you diligently study. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. I think we don't get it because we miss the point of Scripture. The point of the Bible is Jesus. I think sometimes you and I go to... I, I've done this for years. I think sometimes you and I go to the Bible to check a box. I, mean, I know what... Uh, since 2014, I'm going to make a goal to read the Bible five times a day. Forget that. Well, I don't forget that goal. Don't go out of here and remember that one thing. I said I don't need to read the Bible. You know, I'm making it my goal. I'm going to read the Bible five times this year. Check. I mean, five times a week. Check. And we feel better about ourselves. We feel like we're justified before God. And that's the exact opposite of the religion that Jesus came to preach. It's about what Alex pointed out. It's about grace. It's not about what we do. It's about what He did. This tells us, this shows us what He did. But it's not about this. It's about Him. And in our religiousness, sometimes you and I miss the point. We read the Bible for information, not for formation. We have to read the Bible, you and I, to look for Jesus. So we have to recognize that He gives us pictures and images all throughout history to prepare us, to, to anticipate it. When He told Abraham to go sacrifice His Son, He would later sacrifice His own Son. And when He sent Joseph, named Joseph, the Old Testament word for Jesus, to, to be the guy who went in and conquered things, one day the great conqueror would come. And when Moses said, there's going to one day come be a prophet like me, that prophet was Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's the point. And you know what? I don't think we really make it about the Bible, really. That's not right, is it? We make it about ourselves. It's about me and how I can feel better about me. And how... I can make me more like Jesus, but that's not a direct path. That's something He has to do in us. It's about Him. And then when we make it about Him, then we become more like Him because of Him. So Alex brought me this book uh, yesterday. said, you might want to think about this as an illustration. He ordered this, I think, in 1937, was it? Uh, this is one of those self-help books. This is carpentry. So I imagine you've got a library of these things, Alex. And this tells you how to do everything. You know, there are diagrams. There are a few small pictures. For me, I could stand larger pictures, although I can't quite go for Ikea, which is only pictures. I need some words. But this has got anything in carpentry, basically. This is the handbook for carpentry. So I want you to know, this morning, in conclusion, the guide for us, for our spiritual development, for our spiritual formation, the guide is not the Bible. It's Jesus. The power for us and the fuel for our spiritual development is not the Bible. It's God's Spirit. And the standard for what we look like when we really get formed in the right direction is not the Bible, it's Jesus. But the handbook is the Bible. 
And it's full of pictures. Yesterday, that occurred to me for the first time. I've thought before about the Bible. Why in the world, if I were writing this, I would pontificate. It would all be Proverbs. And by the way, you know, when Dean makes you angry, Ed, don't do this. You know, just be stuff to do. God gives us pictures. Sorry, Dean. It's got stuff in it. Don't do this and don't do that. But it's got pictures. Here's what it looks like. When you really blow it, you become like David. You're not out with your men at war. You're sunbathing and you, look, you see a beautiful woman and then you pursue her. You idiot. This is what happens. It gives you pictures. It's the handbook. And we've got to go to it. This year we've got to go to it, but we can't miss the point. The point of the handbook is not us. It's not being better. The point of the handbook is Jesus. Okay, stand with me and let's pray. So, as we pray, let's bow our head and close our eyes just for a point of focus. Let's do some business with Him for a second. And let's make covenant with Him this morning. Some of you may know already what that means. Some of you may be able to say specifically right now what you need to be about this year in light of what we've heard this morning. But for others of you, you just need to, we need to open ourselves up and say, God... What does this mean for me and for my relationship with you and my connection to the Bible? What does it mean in terms of my spiritual habits? What are you asking of me? For others of you, you know that God wants you to be more diligent this year in the study of the Scripture, but not miss the point. So for some of you, it's about reminding yourself of what the point is. And there are others of us for whom this is about I've got to wrestle this to the mat. I've got to figure out, you know, I've got to do some work on what I believe here. Can I get to the point where I believe the miracles? Can I bring myself under the Scriptures in the way that Jesus was and that Ed seemed to be talking about this morning? And for you, you need to do some work on that this year. Look, don't cast that aside. And let's do some work here for a minute. So let's pray. I want to remind you, if you need to do some more work about this this morning, there are a group of people down to my left who will be praying after the service. So come down and get some prayer and get help. Get launched on this. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would launch this. And I pray that you would, you and your mercy and grace would seal up the open spaces and the discussion this morning and you would apply it to each of us in exactly the way that we need it.